handcrafted and American-made right here in the USA. B Pro Kennels is bringing you a premium-built dog box unlike anything you've ever seen before. Built from a full-tube frame, aluminum powder-coated shell, built-in lockable storage, and oh, did you forget to charge those dog collars before you left? No worries, B-Pro has you covered with their built-in solar panel and battery bank to take care of all your charging needs while out on the road chasing birds this fall. Give them a serious look at bprokennels.com. And don't forget the B-Pro Kennels Launch Edition promo code ROOKIE30. If you've ever considered a dog box before, now is the time to get your order in the month of July. 30% off. It's going to save you 30% off your order with B-Pro Kennels by using promo code ROOKIE30. Again, don't wait. July, or once August 1st hits, this promo code is not available anymore. If you're thinking about a dog box, reach out to Ben, get your order in. He can customize whatever you need. You're listening to The Upland Rookie, a podcast presented by Upland Brits. This podcast is also sponsored by Anook Shook Professional Dog Food and Trinity Bretons, home of the Epignol Breton. All good things start with a solid foundation. At Final Rise, all three of their premium Upland vests are built around the foundational waist belt to provide you all-day comfort and endless customization. With a secure waist belt and a thin, high-quality shoulder harness, which sits perfectly along the back, holding everything in place. Durable, premium Upland gear made here in my neighboring state of Herber, Utah. Check them out at finalrise.com. Also be sure to check out the brand new Sidekick Vest, which is the perfect ultra-light, ultra-minimalistic vest that you'll be rocking in the hills this season. Hey, what's going on, everyone? And welcome back to the podcast. You are listening to episode 52 with Sean Wayman. Now, you may recognize the last name. Well, that's because we had Andy Wayman on last week's episode talking about his new book, Idaho Upland Days. Uh, Fantastic conversation I had with Andy. So you might want to go check that conversation out if you haven't already. But on today's episode, I dive in with Sean talking all things veterinary medicine. And so uh, Sean's actually been uh, my vet uh, with my dog Gage and now Wynn for the last several years. And uh, I've really enjoyed uh, getting to learn from him. And, and ask him all sorts of silly and you know serious questions along the way. So um, I really appreciate Sean uh, taking some time to sit down with us, um, not only talking about veterinary medicine and wound care and injuries and things to look for in dogs and all all that kind of good stuff, um, but we get to learn a little bit more about Sean, uh, some of his his most memorable hunts. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, a woodcock hunt that he did in South Carolina recently, and so I really think you are going to enjoy this conversation with Sean Wayne. Hey everyone, so a couple quick announcements before we jump into the podcast. Um, first off, I just got back from camping with my kiddos and it was a blast. 
It was, it was an absolute blast. Um, kind of a double or dual purpose uh, trip. So we went, uh, you know, scouting for some blue grouse um, here in my home state of Colorado. And then, yeah, just a, a camping trip with the kids. So um, on all accounts, it was successful, I would say. Uh, the kids had a blast. Uh, they stayed up late, ate a bunch of s'mores hot dogs, mac and cheese, kind of the, uh, the favorites, I guess, uh, of camping for our house. But, um, so yeah, we good, had a good time. No, you know, no bear encounters or anything, anything like that. So, um, smiles all around. And then we did end up finding some blue grouse, which I was super excited about. Um, I've been, I've been scouting for those birds for several years now, not hard though. Um, just kind of very casually over, over the last several years. And so, um, I was very excited. I was grinning ear to ear to finally get into some blue grouse. And, uh, it just, again, it was a good feeling just, you know, able to find some birds. And I was like, all right, that's it. I'm happy. <laughs> I found them. Um, I, looking at my schedule, I mean, I, I want to get back and hunt them this, uh, this September, October, but um, again, with the baby and, and all that stuff and some other plans I, I got in the works um, for some hunting trips, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see if it works out, but um, definitely got me excited for uh, for the season, seeing some, some wild birds. So super fun, but uh, hopefully you guys have uh, been able to get out there and work your dogs. Uh, you know, might not be on, on wild birds, but maybe you're, you know, working on some training or, you know, brushing some up on some things, uh, whatever it is. Uh, you know, I, I preach this all the time is just get out there with your dog, um, you know, work on whatever, you know, your goal is like, like take some baby steps towards that goal and, uh, you know, make a, make a plan to get there. So whether it's conditioning or retrieving or steadiness or, you know, pointing, whatever it might be, you know, set that goal and then, you know, write out a plan of like, okay, how are you going to get there uh, for that? So um, right now I'm, I'm taking my uh, younger uh, female win through, uh, through the breaking process right now. And so uh, we were just out there again this morning and uh, it's been a fun, it's been a fun process to go through that with her. I did it with Gage last summer and so it's been, uh, it's been a little easier, I would say. I mean, I haven't encountered any hiccups yet. Um, Gage was just a little older, a little more stubborn. Um, Wynn has been just a, a, a really real, real joy to, uh, to work with. And so, um, again, I think I know a little bit more now, <laughs> not that, not that I know, you know, much more, but I think just doing it once, not doing it twice uh, with another dog, um, you just, you start to get a little more comfortable. And so anyways, I have a, a good uh, mentor I've learned from and you know, been able to walk through the process. So anyways, that's kind of what, uh, what I've been up to. Hey, I want to remind you, um, this is probably going to be the last podcast of, uh, of the month of July. And so I want to mention everyone, this is, uh, we're kind of in the home stretch for you to get signed up for the summer fall podcast giveaway. And so, uh, just a reminder, um, we're doing a giveaway every month for the next four months. So, I'm drawing a winner for July, one for August, one for September and one for October. And so you have to be signed up on patreon.com. Uh, just search the Upland Rookie Podcast, get signed up, be a uh, Patreon supporter. Um, I greatly, greatly appreciate that. You know, it helps support the show. Um, but as well, there's some some added benefits like this giveaway um, for you to be a, a supporter. You're going to be, uh, be able to get some chances at some really, really incredible gear. 
And so if you head over to Patreon, you'll see the full um, breakdown of what is up for grabs. And so it's going to be winner's choice, as I've mentioned before. So whoever wins in July is going to get the pick from one of the four prizes. Once that prize is gone, then August, the the other remaining three will be available. So you have some uh, great companies. Of course, Final Rise, uh, Matt Davis is putting up a vest for us uh, to give away. So it's going to be a sidekick vest, which is a brand new one. I just got my own sidekick vest in the mail here, and it is awesome. I took it up with me uh, scouting for blue grouse. Um, so, so that's an option if you want the new sidekick vest, or you can do the legacy vest or the tried and true summit vest. And so that's, I think it's my personal favorite still. Um, it's kind of the original one I got, you know, three years ago. Um, but again, if you choose the vest from final rise, you're going to get to pick which vest uh, you would want to win. And then moving on, we got uh, the upland knife company, um, giving away a custom knife, uh, with the podcast logo engraved onto the knife with a sheath. And so that's an incredible giveaway. The other one is a cable gang system from cable gangs or a tie out system, I guess. And, uh, it's going to be a, a two dog system with ground stakes. Now these ground stakes, um, I bent some old ones I had. And so I just got the new, uh, new ground stakes that, uh, Brennan's offering over there. And they're really, really sweet. Um, so two dog system with ground stakes, or you can choose a four dog system, but that's not going to come with ground stakes. Okay. And then the last option for giveaway um, is the Gunner Fan Kit 2.0. Super long battery life. They just came out with this about four or five months ago. Um, It's going to attach to your Gunner kennel or really any kennel. I think it's going to attach super easily. You can attach it with zip ties, all sorts of contraptions, but it does come with a mount. I I think will work in pretty much any kennel. So excuse me. Um, anyways, really, really thankful for all the companies and, uh, some really sweet gear. So get signed up on Patreon. Um, again, July winner, I will reach out to the July winner, um, from my podcast. Uh, well, yeah, I'll, I'll pick a winner and then I'll reach out to either phone, email, whatever it is. So, um, we'll go from there. So get signed up in July, August 1st, I will contact the winner and we'll go from there. Um, other than that, um, I do have some, uh, merch or hats in the work, uh, designing some hats with a great company right now. So stay tuned, uh, for more info on hats, um, working on, I, I guess, kind of let me know. I'd love your feedback on, I've been kind of debating whether I do, so it's my new logo. I've got a few different birds. Uh, I have a dog, a setter. Um, do you want to see multiple options or can we just rock with the sharp tail and the Brittany? Let me know if you want to see a pheasant sage grouse for a hat. Let me know if you're interested. Otherwise I think I'm just going to go Brittany and, and sharp tail grouse. Um, and I'll do a couple styles of hats in those with a nice leather patch. Um, but if you really, really are interested and you will want to purchase another style, maybe a pheasant, uh, the quail, I have a rough grouse feather coming up. Um, so if you want, if you, you'd be interested in those for a hat, let me know, please sooner than later. Um, cause I'm kind of putting the final touches on, on the hat order. So again, you know, you get it. It's kind of complicated doing lots of different, uh, logos and, and styles. I'm trying to narrow it down a little bit. I think the sharp tail, um, it's kind of classic. I started with that on my original logo. Um, I love sharp tail. It's a great bird to hunt. It's kind of, uh, again, just, just my flavor of the podcast. And of course the Brittany, you know, I'm, I'm doing some Brittany, so <laughs> don't, don't blame me for that. Anyways, let me know what you'd want to see on a hat and what you would actually purchase. I uh, would love, uh, <clears throat> love the feedback and let you guys or like 
have you let me know <laughs> what you would you would buy okay so sorry it's getting longer i always intend for these to be shorter than they are um but i just have things that are just r- running around in my head i'm like all right i have to say this i forgot that <laughs> so you get it, you get it it's uh it's a sunday afternoon here it's raining kind of slow <clears throat> our house is a mess we gotta get inside and clean you know how it goes i just you know i got my garage organized a couple days ago from from our camping trip and it was hard i was i was packing for it was a kind of a last minute decision to go camping and uh i was like all right i gotta you know find all my stuff i was kind of in different bins <clears throat> my god i'm struggling here i gotta wrap this up um anyway so when i got back from camping i was able to do some organizing get, got my deck drawer system organized uh garage bins all that good stuff so anyways i'm gonna sh- <clears throat> shut up for now I'm literally losing my voice as we speak. Okay, we're gonna dive into the conversation. Here is Sean Wayman. Sean, thanks so much for uh, for jumping on the podcast with me here. Um, why don't you uh, give uh, everyone a little introduction about who you are and also put us on a map. Where are you talking to us from? All right, my name is Sean Wayman and I'm from actually from Eastern Idaho, grew up in Northern Utah and Eastern Idaho. And then now I live currently in Castle Rock, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver. It's back about smack dab between Denver and Colorado Springs. <clears throat> and I've lived here for gosh, since 99. So I went to vet school at Washington State University and graduated in um, 1997. And then I practiced in Walla Walla, which is a great town, good bird hunting there. I practiced there for two years and then I moved to Castle Rock and I've been here ever since. Um, so to give you a little background about my practice, I worked for a guy when I moved here in 99 for about five years and then me and him had a falling out. So in that was about 2003, I started my own practice and I owned that practice for 18 years and just sold it a year and a half ago. So that's that's pretty much a nutshell there. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, did you did you always know you wanted to be a vet? That's so funny. Yeah, I said I was thinking about that this morning. I was out casting my fly rod, and uh, <clears throat> probably since the second grade is when I realized I wanted to be a veterinarian. I had this thing for hunting dogs since the second grade. I'd check out every single book on hunting dogs and take them home or. And I just, I've always loved hunting dogs. So we grew up, my brothers and I grew up with Springer Spaniels. My dad liked Springer Spaniels, but I always wanted a pointing dog. So I I actually never got a pointing dog till I was in veterinary school. Mm. Okay. Okay. So I'm I'm excited to unpack uh, more of your journey, more, more about your dogs and some of the ones that you've, you've had over the past. Um, I got to ask you, so I just started reading uh, your brother's latest book, uh, Idaho Upland Hunting. Yeah. And, uh, I, I'm, I'm about halfway through, but I got to ask, why did you sell him Bustin' Dusty? Well, actually <laughs> I did. This is a funny story and I, Andy, forgive me, but anyways, <laughs> I didn't actually sell him the dog. I, I got the dog from a famous dog trainer and it was a trade for some vet work. And then <clears throat> I had two other dogs and Dusty and I just couldn't get along. And one day, <laughs> He was out in the pasture with my horses. I had a Missouri Fox trotter named Chico and he got behind Chico and he got kicked right in the head mm. and, and his head swelled up the size of a 
pumpkin. And I'm not even joking about that. And finally, I drained probably about four gallons of pus out of his oh, head. Wow. Just it was in the subcutaneous tissue or in the subcute tissue. Um, but the dog was never right again. And, and, and I just, me and him just never got along. So I thought, well, Andy needs another dog. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll let Andy have that dog. <laughs> so. Oh, I was, I was chuckling. I was reading some of that. I was like, why? I mean, I don't know. I was like, Andy was, he seemed very excited. He'll have to speak for himself here, but he was, he seemed very excited to, uh, to take this dog. I know he, he had some trials with that, that one as well, but. Uh, well, you know, it goes back to Andy had a really nice pointer named Farley. I mean, that dog was amazing. At three months of age, we knew he was going to be an exceptional dog. And so I think that's why Andy liked pointers. And I've, I was always pointer fan, too. Um, my first pointer I got was in vet school. <clears throat> but anyways, one of the things that I remember about Dusty that I don't know if Andy ever I don't rem I've read that story that you're talking about. I don't have Andy's book yet. He's sending me a copy this week when he gets the hardbacks in. But anyways, when those, when Dusty was a puppy, there was two yellow and white pointers in that litter. And we went up into the flat tops and we're chasing grouse with those puppies. <clears throat> they didn't have names yet, but then the, the trainer ended up naming them dingy and dusty because they got covered in dirt. So that's what, you know, Dusty was a good dog. So after he got kicked in the head, he was never right again, though. Really? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Wow. Well, I'm so, glad, I could, glad I could ask you about that directly. I was, I was chuckling to myself. <laughs> um, well, can you back up a little bit? Where, where did this love for bird dogs and uh, upland hunting and outdoors, like where'd that, where'd that come from? Uh, or where'd that, I guess where'd it start from uh, with you and your family? Well, you know, we grew, my, we grew up in Utah. My dad was a, I mean, he just loved hunting. He loved every, every bit of hunting and fishing, and he tried to get all of us involved. You know, we had eight kids where you have six coming up. But anyways, um, he, he got all of us involved in the outdoors, and he drug us along even when we were as little as possible, and, uh, you know, to be able to follow him. And it, my love for hunting birds um, he liked to hunt pheasants, and we had this line of uh, Springer Spaniels called Sh Sure Shot, and uh, I think he had four, three or four of those dogs. And, oh, wow. uh, and me and Andy, actually, it was Andy's dog, and his name was Charlie Brown, but Andy was so little that I took the dog hunting with me all the time, and that's back in the days where you could just grab your gun and go out the back door <laughs> and go hunting. That's awesome. Where, where are you at in the age order of all your siblings? I'm second oldest and okay. see andy's four years young. no andy's six years younger than i am okay so so you were kind of you were kind of leading the way then for kind of rest of your siblings with with bird hunting and just getting yeah, out there yeah. yeah we have an older sister i had an older sister and then it was me and then everybody else behind me so okay that's awesome. And then where, so, so it sounds like your dad had a couple great, uh, couple spaniels. Like when, when did you kind of know you wanted your own pointing dog? Like what, what was that turning point for you that said, Hey, I want well, to, I knew it. Okay. Well, I knew, I mean, I really liked to hunt pheasants with, with that Springer Spaniel, Charlie Brown. I mean, he, he was a master of pheasant hunting. He learned that those things would run. And so he would get them and corner them and bring them back and flush them over the top of me and even when i was young i shot a lot of pheasants over him um but then 
you know how life goes. You get involved in sports and and then I joined the army, didn't have a dog then. And then when I got out of the army, I wanted a dog so bad. So I didn't actually get another dog till I was in vet school. Um, and, and actually it was an interesting thing because in vet school, I, I, uh, there was an ad in the newspaper. I went to Washington state. There was an ad in the Spokane newspaper about this crazy hunting dog needs crazy hunter. <laughs> and so I called on it and it was an English pointer, a little tiny L Hugh English pointer that the husband and wife were about ready to get divorced over oh, no. because the, because the dog would run off and they, he wanted to use an electronic collar. Now this is back when electronic collars were just starting to come out. Sure. They were big and bulky. And the wife said, if you put an electronic collar on that dog, I'm divorcing you. <laughs> so they were about ready to get divorced over this little dog. Her oh, name was Jibber, Jibbers. And so I, I took her and, and I learned immediately because I didn't have the money to buy an electronic collar that that dog would run off <laughs> and she'd be gone for weeks. Oh, I got, no I got, way. I'm not kidding you. One time I had her on a check cord. I was on this golf course. It was just down the street from my house. I thought, well, I'll get her. I've been working on coming in the backyard. I took her to classes and I turned her loose on the golf course and that was it. She was gone. <laughs> just so didn't the, see her for a couple of days. Well, they found her about 75 miles from where I lost her. Oh my gosh. And so, so I got her back. I almost, when the kid called me that found her, I said, do you want that dog? <laughs> and he's like, no, I can't oh. have this dog. She's really a nice dog. <laughs> but anyways, I, I got her back and I said, okay, I'm going to, I'll borrow some money from my folks or somebody and I'll just get an electronic collar. And I ordered it through Cabela's. That was back when Cabela's was mail order. You get, I don't, you probably don't remember this will, but you get a big catalog and they were like three and three or four inches thick in the mail. <laughs> and, and that's how I ordered that. Yeah. Um, oh, I had to wow. call up, call up Cabela's, tell them I want be <laughs> I mean, the internet was out, but, but shoot, sure. it was so expensive. It was so expensive. Nobody could afford to be on the internet. <laughs> right, right. So, oh. And it took forever with the dial up. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, dial up. Jeez. Yeah, oh good. I mean, I, re I remember, ago. I remember those, those, uh, again, we got the Cabela's magazines. That was always, they'd come around around what Christmas time, things like that. Mm -hmm. we always looked through yeah. those. It might, might be a little different, but those are, those are always. No, fun I'm to, talking, fun they were through. like three or four inches thick. At <laughs> okay. That maybe time. maybe not like that thick. Home book. <laughs> <laughs> What is yeah. this thing? So did, did you kind of just, I guess, stumble across the, the pointer or did you go into this looking for a pointer when you were getting your first dog? No, you know, I loved, I loved the Springer Spaniel, but I knew their shortcomings and I always wanted a dog that would find a bird and point it. And I didn't have to be running, you know, because mm. when my dog would, I could tell right the minute that Springer Spaniel would get on birds, his tail would go crazy and I'd have to start running after him. And I just wanted a dog that would be staunch and just slam on a point, you know, and, and I'll back up a little bit. One of my all-time heroes in life growing up was Charlie Waterman, and he wrote a lot about English pointers. And I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm going to get an English pointer one day. I so, kind of planted the seed for you. Yeah. Yep. That's cool. That's cool. How, um, uh, I guess what this past season, thinking about this past season for you, like what are some, what are some new things you learned or maybe some highlights you took away, um, you know, over the last, last season or two? 
what are some highlights that I learned over the last season or two? Well, one of the things, one of the things that I that did the last two years is I went to South Carolina woodcock hunting and mm. the guy we hunted with, he ex- exclusively uses English pointers. And what, I mean, it was really one of the things I learned is let your dog do the work. And, and we just watch on the GPS collar mm. or on our watches. Okay. The dog's on point 50 yards in there. Just, you know, go find the dog and let the dog do all the work. Um, I learned a lot about woodcock and I learned a lot about the types of guns I want to take on woodcock cock hunts, you <laughs> really? know, really, really open choke. And you want, I was using spreader loads with, you know, light spreader loads with eight shot. So, um, that's cool. Was that your, was that your first time hunting woodcock or have you, no, I've done it. I've done it two years in a row now. I'm, okay. I'm going to go every year for the rest of my life <laughs> until I can't walk anymore. What, what made us, what made it so special? Mm. Not one is the bird is pretty dang cool. I mean, I don't know if you've ever hunted woodcock before, I but not. no, they sit really nice for pointing dog. And they, when they fly, they get up and they go fast and it's a tough shot. You're shooting through the trees. Wood, so woodcock I, are the long, long beaks, right? Yeah. Kind of longer. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That, now, the you, other thing I learned over the last couple of years is I need more dogs. <laughs> <laughs> for as much as i hunt I, i've had to the last couple of years i've had to borrow people's dogs to, which i'm not opposed <laughs> to borrowing dogs someday i'm going to write a story about borrowed dogs <laughs> there you go well because you so your current dogs are now who do you have you said two right i have two english setters i lost my english cocker last year mm. i got two english setters but one of my english setters um has bad wrists She's one of those dogs that had her dew claws removed and, and then it, it messed up her wrists. Mm, okay. So, yep. So is, can you just not hunt her as long or can I mean, she, she can't go very long at all because it really, her leg swells up, her legs swell up so bad. Oh, okay. So, okay. yeah, I'm so, yeah, I'm surprised you only have two, Sean. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually I got, I don't know, I'm probably jumping ahead a little bit. I got one on order. Oh, nice. So yeah, I'm okay. getting, I, I don't laugh, but I'm getting a French Brittany like Andy's got. Nice. There you go. Yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, re- related to Andy's at all or no? Yeah. Same. I don't know how, how they're related. But it may be the same mom, but it's the same kennel. So it's okay. a kennel out of Montana called Topper Lynn. Okay. So what, what, led, just, you, what led you to that one? Do you just hunt over? Well, over. Well, you asked me about things that I've learned. One of my, whoops, sorry about that. One of my favorite things to do is, uh, is to hunt quail and Mern's mm-hmm. quail. I've been going down to hunt Mern's quail the last few years and my, my setters just run too fast and too big and they just don't find mm-hmm. the bird. They overrun them. And so a little dog, my best Mern's quail hunting has been with my English cocker. And because she worked right in front of me and she worked close to the ground, found the scent would flush the birds. Um, whereas my other dogs just overran them. Now, if I, maybe if I was down there hunting them, you know, 10 days in a row or something like that, they would slow down and they'd be able to pick up the scent. They'd figure it out. So, but I wanted, what I wanted is the little dog that's easy to travel with that will work fairly close and point. Yeah. That's exciting. That's like, they're great, yeah. great little dogs. Is, is this your first, uh, will this be your first Brittany or have you had yeah. this? Okay. 
Nope, I never had a Brittany. And I always, I mean, I've worked on thousands and thousands of Brittany's in my career, and I've always loved Brittany's. I like all dogs. Yeah, yeah so it I'm sounds not like it. Opposed to any dog breed, but but I, I, you know, I've always liked Brittany's. I've got several good clients that have that asked me to if I was interested in their dogs over the years, <laughs> and I, I had been, but I, I don't know, I just love Setter. So yeah. So, I mean, over, over the years, when you think back, maybe on, on some of the dogs that you've owned, what are, what are some of the standout dogs that you've, you've had over the years, maybe one or, one or two? You know, you read, always read, and I don't know how, how much you're into literature, but you always read about how you get once in your lifetime, you get that perfect dog. And maybe my dogs haven't been perfect, but I don't believe that because I've had several good dogs over the years. I mean, <clears throat> one of my English pointers, well, my English pointer Gibbers that I told you about after I got that shock collars, that changed her life and it changed my life forever because man, we shot a lot of birds together. She'd point, she'd just find those birds and point. So she was a phenomenal dog about teaching me about hunting dogs and teaching me about pointing dogs. Um, and then, and, and the value of an electronic collar. Um, but also if it's used right, I should say, but, but, um, see other dogs. I had another English pointer now named Geppetto. Geppetto was, which we call Jeb. She's probably the best hunting dog I ever had. Mm. Um, I don't give her enough credit, but I had an English setter at the same time that I had Geppetto named Gretchen. And Gretchen was a 27 pound light on her foot, fast running dog. And she learned everything that that Geppetto knew. And mm. then after Geppetto was gone, Gretchen was phenomenal, mm. man. I, I just loved everything about that dog point. <laughs> she retrieved. She's, I mean, me and her killed so many scale quail together. Yeah. So that's cool. That's cool. What, and what drew you to the setters? Sounds like you've had quite a few setters over the years. What's, what's it, is it about them that, that keeps you coming back? You know, I love setters and I love, English pointers, I guess it's more because of the tradition from literature that I've read, mm. you know, and you, you think about a, a, a old time, um, not photograph or yeah, even old time photographs, old time paintings, you see the classic English pointer, English setter. I just like that, that, I mean, it draws me to it. So yeah. will you, will you ever go back to a pointer or, or, is that you kind of going towards more of the setter Brittany's right now or probably not. You know, one of my good hunting buddies, Matt Lee, he lives in South Carolina, but he travels awful lot. <laughs> so we, we hunted like three times last year together. <clears throat> He's got pointers and I'll just borrow his. <laughs> <laughs> it's all about who you know, right? Yeah. It's all about who you know. So, That's good. That's good. You know, and as I get, as I get closer to retirement, I, I think I want little dogs because so, my wife and I want to travel. We, we're going to spend some time in the Carolinas and down in Belize and mm. places like that. I'm going to take my dogs with me. So a small sure. dog for travel would be easier, I think. Yeah, they're compact so, for sure. <laughs> yeah. A lot, lot easier. And 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 the, t- the short tails, I'm just saying. So, you know, you're not spilling drinks all over. You're not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. The only downside, though, and you know this is the. Yeah. Doggone freaking burrs, man. I hate mm. burrs and hair. English pointers, I never had to yeah. worry about that. That's true. That's true. So, Just runs off of them. What um, What are you looking for when you're, you're picking out a new pup? Are you, 
you big on pedigrees or do you just want to see the parents hunt? Like what is it you're looking for when you're picking out pups? Well, I really like, usually it has to do with what the parents were like. So like as as far as English setters go, um, Penn star was a five time grouse champion. And I think he won the grand national grouse championship. He's from Pennsylvania. He's long gone. Um, but as his prodigy or just incredible hunting dogs. So I, I think what I'm looking for is dogs that come from lines that, you know, are known hunting hunters or, or even field trial, mm. you know, um, I like the grouse and woodcock, the wild bird trial dogs a lot. So I think probably the most important thing is not, is that they come from a breeder that's got a good reputation that they're honest and they, and they know, you know, the limitations of their dog, but they also hunt their dogs. That's what I'm looking for. Yeah, absolutely. Are you, are you, uh, I guess with your, your personal dogs, do you like your dogs to range really big and kind of like be very bold and go, or do you like a dog that kind of is going to be a little closer working? Like what's your style of hunting, I guess, that you, you like your dogs to be at? You know, I've had it all. And I, one of my good friends in Wyoming, he's got a dog that's about, out, out about a mile. I don't want a dog like that. I mm-hmm. used to, and, but I can't walk that fast anymore, <laughs> you know? So the older I get, the more I want a medium range dog. And I think that my youngest setter now, his name is June. I think June's going to be a medium range dog. Okay. So that's perfect. That's perfect. Well, that's exciting. Sean sounds like you've had a a wide range of of breeds and got to experience some, uh, some different styles and that's pretty cool. That's awesome. Um, all right. Well, we got to get into some, some vet vet questions. <laughs> I can't, have right. a vet, can't have a vet on this show without, without diving into some questions for you. This um, is the part where everybody can take a nap, right? Exactly. I'm exactly. I'm just kidding. I'm teasing. <laughs> um, so I kind, of, I kind of broke it into two sections, kind of uh, kind of the field care, maybe slash injury uh, section, and then maybe some more routine things we'll touch on in a second here, but um, kind of interesting. You might know the answer to this. So I, I did a poll on Instagram uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, hey, I'm going, I'm talking with a vet. What questions do you have? What do you want to guess the top two questions for you are or topics, well, I guess. There's probably spay and neuter and probably, uh, I don't know. Food. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. 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 Interesting. I thought, okay. So the top two questions are, uh, what pe- people want to know what they should have in their, uh, field kit first or emergency aid kit, kit, first okay. aid. That was number one followed very closely by snake bites. Okay. rattlesnake bites those are the top two two questions i got uh, overwhelmingly uh, over everything else so we'll we'll dive in first off let's talk about about rattlesnakes i know rattlesnakes probably aren't a concern of everyone but especially if you're hunting out west uh some places i know those are going to be a concern so two two-part question uh, i want to talk about the if your dog gets bit what do you do and the second part is the rattlesnake vaccine a lot of people were wondering about the, the vaccine. So okay. let's say someone's dog gets bit. What do you do? A nook shook professional dog food is the highest energy dog food in the world. A nook shook's dense formulations ensure that your pup in training and your seasoned bird dog get what they need to succeed in the field. A nook shook works hard so your dogs can work harder. Check them out at a nook shook 
Trinity Bretons is the home of the Epignol Breton, also known as the French Brittany. All Trinity Breton dogs are from champion bloodlines that are field tested and family approved. For over 33 years, Trinity Bretons has worked to offer you the best bred Epignol Breton in the country. Check them out at trinitybretons.com. Also on Facebook and Instagram at Trinity Bretons. So, and this has happened to a lot of my friends' dogs over the years because we've, I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but I've seen rattlesnakes in Colorado out on the prairie in December and mm-hmm. January. Yeah. So they'll be in those prairie dog colonies out there on the prairie where the Skelquel will be. And if you get a 70 de- degree day in January, that rattlesnakes can be out. Sure. I've seen them out when there's snow on the ground, except there's pat, you know, patches of snow. And then, and then there's areas that's, that's dried up. And I've seen them on that dried up stuff. If the prairie dogs were out, the rattlesnakes are usually out. Oh, really? Yeah. So I've seen it. So it's a, it's a real threat. And so this is what I tell people. Number one, the more you do in the field, the, the more time you're wasting to get to the vet. So the best thing to do is collect up your dog, get in the vehicle as fast as you can and start heading towards the vet. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that I've talked to people in my practice over the years is, Hey, if you're hunting in say Elkhart, Kansas on the Cimarron and your dog gets hit by a snake and in November, cause I've definitely seen snakes mm-hmm. there in November, even in November. Really? <clears throat> yeah. Oh. Yep. Yep. And I've, like I said, I've seen them in January in Colorado. So wow. uh, there used to be a walk-in area that's down east of the Colorado Springs about, oh, about a couple hours. And I've seen rattlesnakes there when the, when in December and January. Wow. So it can that's happen. Crazy. That's crazy. And so, and I've seen them, I've seen a diamondback, Western diamondback in New Mexico in November. So a little one wow. too. Wow. Is it true so, from your experience, if you're seeing a snake late in the year, you know, typically it's cold ish around January, are they going to be slower reactive? They're much gonna... slower. Okay. Yes. Yeah. One time when I was in Wyoming up by Chugwater, Wyoming, except it was uh, October 1st. As a matter of fact, we saw a prairie rattler and it could hardly move. Oh, wow. So, so the, so back to your question, the first thing you should do is relax. Don't panic get your dog safe, get your dog comfortable. Um, you know, the more you can keep them calm and and just head to the vet. So know where the nearest vet is, is one of your jobs before you go there, know their mm-hmm. phone numbers, maybe program them in your phone. Sure. is not a bad idea. So, um, <clears throat> uh, if there's, you know, if anything, I know people ask me all the time, well, should I have Benadryl on my first aid mm-hmm. kit? Should I have prednisone which is a corticosteroid that those things aren't going to help a snake bite at all really so yeah at all okay. so that if anything you could start them on antibiotics because a lot of them do get infection at the bite site because there's oh. a lot of back bacteria in, in in their teeth you know in their fangs that they inject venom so you're so you're saying so, i can take the i can take the benadryl out of my vest <laughs> that's not a bad idea to have it because what if your dog got stung or bit by something and and they had a, you know, their face swelled up and it's not a bad idea to have okay. Benadryl. Okay. So it has a, so, it has a place. Yeah. Benadryl, you know, in the typical dose of Benadryl is about a milligram per pound of body weight. So a 50 pound dog can get 50 pounds or 50 milligrams of Benadryl or 25 
a pound dog can get one tablet, a 50 pound dog could get two tablets. You could do it every eight hours. Okay. So there, there is definitely a place for it. And and if they gave it from for a snake bite, it, there's no harm in giving it. It's just okay. not going to really do anything. So do I use steroids and snake bites? If I'm treating them with the antivenom? Yeah, I do. I usually give them a dose of dexamethasone, which is a steroid. And I'm more worried about them having a reaction to the, to the antivenom than I am. Really? to help in the bite. Yeah. Oh, wow. Okay. So, so I, I've never had a dog bit by a snake, but is there any concern? Like, do, do you need to be worried out in the field of where the dog got bit on the body? Well, let me ask you a question. Where do you think is the most dangerous spots to be bit? As far I as I would think the neck, that'd be my I, gut reaction. What, everybody says that. And I've seen a lot of, I talked to the first snake bite I ever saw was in Walla Walla, Washington. And you know, I'm young vet and I'm panicked. So I called this vet that's still, he's probably still practicing. He's practicing in Lewiston, Idaho. He said, oh, first of all, don't panic. It's prairie rattler. They're not very venomous. I've never seen a dog die from a snake bite. Um, <clears throat> um, but he said, he was telling me that if they get bit in the face, it's usually better if they're bit in the face than they are in the leg. And that's been my experience. I, I probably, really? I mean, I, yeah. So I, I probably treat Oh, maybe one or two dogs per year from being bit by a snake. And I actually had a cat in my practice that got bit three times. Oh, wow. I treated it twice. This is three consecutive times, not, not the same time. Oh, wow. I'm talking different times. <laughs> oh, different times. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so the third year this happens, this lady calls me, says, this damn cat got bit again. <laughs> I'm not bringing it in. And I'm like, all right, I understand that. Goes, oh, I hope that sucker dies. <laughs> oh my gosh. He so, didn't die. Oh. He didn't die. So, and I thought a lot about this. Yeah. He didn't probably die from the, I treated him twice with antivenom and, and he did pretty well. On <clears throat> the third time I didn't treat him, he probably did have some antibodies from being bit before mm. that probably helped neutralize the, the venom. So that, that would bring me into your next question. That's the vaccine. And I, I'll be honest with you. I'm not, I haven't been a big fan of the vaccine. Okay. Um, I, I have never used it on my dogs. I, I get called more by people all over the country <clears throat> that their dog had a reaction to the snake vaccine than they, than, mm. you know, they got swelling or whatever. And I don't want to talk too much about the vaccine because I've been um, criticized by the, somebody in their in their company sure. um because i didn't i didn't think it really worked and so they were trying to prove to me that it's effective but this is the deal about that vaccine sure. the bottom line is this has been on the market for 20 years and it's still not usda approved mm. it's on a limited license after 20 years come on okay so what they did is they haven't proved that it's that it's got effic efficacy against what they're claiming. Okay. So it's a good concept. And I think sure. this is my opinion. And I think it works pretty well 50% of the time. Now I say that 50% of the time, 50% <laughs> of snake bites have no venom injected into the pet. Oh, really? So, so 50% of the time the vaccine works great. <laughs> I think I remember hearing you tell me that another time. <laughs> well, no, I probably just opened myself up for a whole can of worms again. But 
Oh, so, uh, the, the, and, it, and at, at its core, sorry, real quick, at its core is the, is the vaccine basically antivenom in, in a vaccine kind of form? No, what it is, is it, what it is, is supposed to stimulate it's antigens supposed to stimulate antibodies so okay. that it will neutralize the vaccine or the injection when they get bit. Okay. So, so <clears throat> I think it's a great concept sure. and, and there may be some, there may be some, it's only supposed to be good for the Western diamondback. So, so if you got the Mojave rattlesnake or you got copperheads or you got water moccasins Mm. or you got coral snakes, it's not going to work. And so, so maybe, maybe it would work for Western diamondback. And maybe if I lived in Western diamondback country, I'd, I'd, be more prone to push it, but I live where there's prairie rattlers. They're not very venomous. Gotcha. Okay. And, and like I said, I've seen, I mean, I don't see it. I haven't seen a hundred snake bites, but I see two or three a year that I treat. Sure. So, and, and then one other thing, just on this, before we move on, you mentioned that it's, it's from what you've seen, it's more dangerous for a dog to get bit in the leg is it yeah. versus is that, and why is that? Is that just maybe, um, I think it gets into circulation faster. Okay. So I, I had one dog, this is a cattle dog, and it's in, lived in the same neighborhood where that cat got bit. <laughs> the owners rushed the dog into me and it was out and there was not a puncture wound and there was not any bleeding or any swelling, but this dog was dying. Really? So I got it. I got it at the end of him. And one of the things that I did is I took a quick blood, blood sample out of the other leg <clears throat> and I looked at the blood sample underneath the microscope. And the red blood cells look like crowns or what they call echinocytes. So they have all these spiky little crowns on them. And I'm like, okay, this, this dog definitely got envenomated by a poisonous snake. Mm. So that, that gave me enough um, confidence to go ahead and treat it with the antivenom. Because the antivenom can cause problems too. Plus it's expensive as heck. Mm. So that's, that's for people who said, well, can I get the antivenom from you and just carry it? Cause you can give it, you can give it intravenously and you can also give it, um, you can give it intermuscular, which I've never done the intermuscular. Usually I put in 300 mils of saline and then run it slowly to okay. the dog or the okay. cat or whatever I'm treating. Um, but anyways, after about an hour of running that antivenom to, or the antivenom to that dog, the leg swelled up and, and then it had a puncture wound, but I never could see a puncture wound or anything. Wow. So I had to go by what the owners told me. They saw a snake. It was coiled up. Yeah. Dog went over the top of it. It yelped. And then within 15 minutes, it collapsed. Wow. So, and That's then great. I saw the echinocytes on the blood smear. Okay. So, so once, once the, does the antivenom work pretty quickly then like does, to bring that dog kind of back or. Oh yeah. It, it, I mean, within 15, 20 minutes, I started wow. getting some reaction from the dog. I, wow. Like I said, I run it. I run it about 300 mils of saline and I run it really slow. So, okay. wow. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. Okay. Um, next thing, um, it, you know, everyone wants to know about, you know, uh, a barbed wire cut or a pretty, pretty big wound to the dog, you know, it could be again, all over, anywhere on the body. Maybe it's a, a puncture wound, a, a deep cut what kind of care does someone need to offer that dog when that happens in the field? Do you staple? Do you not staple? What would you, what would you do? Well, usually, I mean, it, it depends. I mean, I've stapled a lot of wounds and then continue to hunt my dogs. There's nothing better than putting the skin back over a wound as a bandage. So, 
Um, I had a good, I got a good case in point of that. I, on Friday, I stitched a German shorthair pointer up that had a barbed wire cut um, that the owner stapled. And so he, I think he did a great job. He showed me pictures of it, but it came apart. And I think the, the number one thing that I see that he didn't do and that a lot of people don't do is they don't properly clean the wound before they flip it mm-hmm. back up and staple it. So, you know, make sure you got some kind of saline and betadine solution or you could even use peroxide as long as you dilute it out with with uh, saline or water you know you want to use pretty weak um, uh, peroxide because peroxide can cause free radical damage to tissue and kill that tissue that you want oh, to wow. heal back so clean the wound staple the wound but realize that you may have to have it stitched again, but there's no better bandage than to put the skin back over and cover it to keep it from getting infected. Okay. So, 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 so you, again, depend, I know there's so many variations of, of what could happen, but would you kind of, again, if it was you and your dog, would you take the extra time to, you know, clean it, staple it versus just bandaging it and going to a, your nearest vet? Well, again, it depends. And so like if you had a, and this is a common thing I've seen is where they hit the cephalic vein in the, in the front leg when they're going through those wires and then you got blood squirting like crazy. It's not an artery, but the vein's pretty superficial that, that you need to immediately address. And I would wrap that and go get help as soon as you can. So, so, um, but I mean, it depends also on your confidence level and, and what you've learned, you know, in first aid. So I've seen a lot of people that if they take a first aid course and they can clean the wound, they can staple the wound and they don't need a vet to look at until they get home. Mm. So, you know, if it's a huge wound that's really deep into the subcute tissue or into the muscle layer, I'd, I'd probably stop what I was doing and go get help. Yeah. If it's just a skin tear, those skin tears can be stable. Okay. Okay. So, and the reason I say that is uh, if you have a cut into the muscle layer, you got to cut into the subcutaneous layer, uh, you need stitches inside as well as stitches oh. outside. Or what, what happens, what happens is if you don't close up the inside, you leave a bunch of space in there for what, for, you know, uh, fluid to accumulate or cause a seroma. So, okay. so seroma's good. I mean, the blood's going to pool, right? Yeah, and blood pulls, and then the blood breaks down, and you get all the breakdown byproducts of the blood, and then that's what a seroma is. And, and actually, a seroma is not that big a deal. If you clean the wound well enough, and you put the skin back over, and you were able to, to – sometimes seromas will resolve, but sometimes they don't, and the stitches will fall out, and the skin will die. It's, or sometimes it's, the wound is traumatic, like they hit into a tree really hard, and it splits. So sometimes those traumatic injuries, you stitch them – they come apart because you damaged all the surrounding tissue. Mm. So, okay. All right. I, I hope I answered your question. Yeah, no, 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 you did for sure. Um, again, what I, what I'm taking away is <laughs> get to a vet because <laughs> I don't want to be dealing with blood and I don't know. I just, no, no. Makes... I mean, and this is the thing is if you see blood, stop blood before you do anything else. Yeah. So, and that's when my first aid kit, I have all kinds of bandage material, but you can use, I mean, you could just use duct tape and a towel, a paper <laughs> t- duct tape and a paper towel, so, you know, put yeah. pressure on a wound and stop it from bleeding. Yeah. So while you're traveling. Yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Um, okay. Next, next one is kind of around food and watering. Um, 
first one, I guess, uh, kind of related to this, I guess, is uh, heat exhaustion. And what, like, what are, I guess, some of the signs that you need to look for when your dog is, is kind of reaching that peak of heat exhaustion or it could have a seizure or something like that when they're too hot? Like, what are some signs to look for? And second part is, is how to cool them down. All right. So what I, and I've seen my dogs do this. So um, typically once, once the outside temperature hits about 85 degrees, I I don't run my dogs anymore. 85 is kind of my cutoff. Um, But the first thing I've noticed when my dogs start getting hot is they might, you know, stagger a little bit or they, you know, excessive frothing from the mouth because they're panting so hard. So those are things, I mean, the minute they start becoming a little disoriented is when you ought to say, okay, this is being stupid. Now let's stop. So a lot of dogs, some dogs can tolerate heat and some dogs cannot tolerate heat. And I've had both. Hmm. My, my little Gretchen dog could tolerate, I could probably run her at 90 degrees outside because she was 27 pounds. But hmm. then I had this another setter named Danny boy, man, it's, it's 70. 73 degrees he's panting so hard and i had to put him up he'd get weak and then mm. so, so, those so every, are the every dog's you, every dog's gonna have their threshold pretty yeah much so it depends on like a black dog at labradors i mean shoot you gotta be very careful because they heat up my english cocker was black and she got hot very fast mm. um so those are the things to look for um disorientation i've even had them vomit because they got so hot and sick from the heat really fast and and it doesn't take much i've seen dogs die in 80 degree weather oh wow so yeah okay so I, what's the what's the best way to cool them down so let's say someone sees that you know the extra frothing at the mouth or things like that like what what do you do next how to cool them down quickly um, you know, let them, I mean, the best thing to do is let them keep drinking the whole time. So if you're like, I was in Wyoming last year in September running dogs and we quit by, by the time it hit 80 degrees and we we're like, okay, that's it. We're done. Um, so water frequently can cool them down, you know, kind of maybe slow down their pace a little bit is a good way to cool them down. They get really hot then you need to get them wet. So they, Dogs cool off through their pads and their feet and from panting. So, okay. yeah. Okay. So, you know what? That's one of the things that I like about when you hunt in like New Mexico or, or Arizona. There's a lot of water tanks or ponds and stuff that you find when you're hunting and dogs can go get, get in those ponds. Mm. So, yeah, that's good to cool them off, get, get them, get them all drenched and <laughs> cool them down. Yeah. And th- this is the thing. I, I've thought a lot about this is, there's an opportunity out there for every situation to kill your dog when you're hunting. I mean, they could jump in a hot springs and you didn't know it was hot springs or that, mm. you know, they could any, any situation kill them. So use always use common sense when you're running your dogs. That's mm. probably the best advice I could give anybody is use common sense. Yeah. Um, it, it, if your gut tells you don't do it, you probably shouldn't. Yeah. <laughs> That's, that's the gold nugget of this podcast right now. <laughs> Just use yep. common sense. Yeah, uh, I'm telling you. Uh, well, I'm sure you've seen, I'm sure you've seen everything. <laughs> no, I've done, I've seen everything and I've done some dumb stuff. And then, and then I thought, man, I wish I would have thought that through a little better. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I guess when it comes to watering electrolytes, is that anything that, you know, if you're, if you think your dogs may be dehydrated, is that something that can help does not help? 
I think I think that electrolytes can help, but I think electrolytes before exercise is probably better than electrolytes during exercise. Mm. So, I mean, you dogs can have Pedialyte. I've used Pedialyte for years and dogs that have had diarrhea or they've, you know, just want to get a few more electrolytes in them. So dogs don't, again, dogs don't sweat like we do. So all of their electrolyte balances go through the kidneys. Mm. So, so, um, you know, I've started playing with some of those things like the recovery type things. Mm -hmm. And, um, cause I've, again, with my buddy up there in Wyoming, that's got that dog that gets out a mile. I mean, I think that those kind of things can definitely help them recover and be ready for the next day. Mm. Um, but if you want to prevent like muscle injury and stuff like that, and, and that was your goal of the electrolyte therapy, you're probably better to do it before exercise. So like the like night, like night before, give them yeah, some of that in their water. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't think, and there's no harm. You know, I've read some things about, well, Gatorade has dyes in it, but I, a little Gatorade's never going to hurt a dog and Pedialyte doesn't have any dye in it. It's definitely not going to hurt a dog to give a dog Pedialyte. Okay. So, um, do, they, do they absolutely need that? I, I don't know. You know what? Probably the most important thing to take away from yeah. watering a dog is just give them plenty of fresh water as much as you can carry. So, right. which is a problem. That's our problem out here in the West is we got to sure. carry our, our water. If you go yeah. back East, they got water everywhere. It's wet. Sure. Sure. Um, Have you, I mean, I'm sure you've heard of the, like some people put water in their food the night before hunts, get kind of extra water in them. Is that a, is it a myth? No, no, I'm I'm a big fan of water in the food. Yeah. The more moisture they get in them, the more, you know, the more hydrated they are. Absolutely. Okay. So that's not, that's not a myth. Okay. That's good. That's good. Um, this is something you and I've chatted about kind of on and off over the years is feeding once a day, twice a day. Have you seen or, or heard any studies on, on benefits, pros or cons to twice versus once a day? So this is what the experts say is that, that dogs, if you feed a dog the night before, they get the most energy for the next day. But I, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I have become a fan of feeding my dogs twice a day. Okay. And so it, it, it's a pr- pr- personal preference. So Will you feed them the guys, morning, the morning of your hunt? Will you feed them? I always have. Okay. Okay. Ever since I've been, ever since I've had pointing dogs and been in vet school, I've fed my dogs twice a day. Okay. So, and I, I know a lot of people will say, well, your dog could blow or your dog could, and you know, they, I've heard people say, don't ever feed them when you put them in the kennel and then you drive somewhere. Man, I've done that so many times. So <laughs> I, this, this is the bottom line, Will, is when you see, when you see, a list of things to say that could cause both this, 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 mm. this, this, and this can cause that. That bottom line is that nobody really knows why that happens. Mm. So and they just, it's, it's like cause and effect that they did this and then that happened and that had to be why that happened. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I've always fed twice a day. I've ran my dogs and fed them in the morning. Sometimes they don't eat as good in the morning. So I might give them a little bit more in the evening. Sure. So, and, and the other thing, and I've read a lot of these sled dog things. I've got, I'm, I didn't tell you this, but one of the things that I just picked up is I'm going to be the veterinary editor for um, the Upland Almanac. And so one of the things I was oh, going to cool. do is there's some new literature out about feeding athletic dogs. 
and I've been reading it. And one of the things that I picked up out of that is that it's okay to feed them before exercise, but they probably are going to get more if you feed them a little bit later, you know, or if you feed them and then you wait four hours before they run and then maybe give them a snack halfway through it. So mm. that's kind of what the current thought is feed them, but give them four hours before you exercise them. They're going gotcha. to get maximum amount of energy out of the calories. Okay. Okay. So that's good. That's good. A um, couple more in this uh, kind of, I don't know, whatever I'm calling it, field care section. Uh, uh, you know, on the West here, I know in Colorado, we have some of this. Uh, I, I think further West we do as well, like cheat grass, spear grass, weed seed, things like that. What, what I guess, what do people need to look for when you're, when you're, you know, maybe train your dog in the summer when these things are, I guess, in full bloom and can you, well, talk a you know what? About- I, yeah, this, this is my biggest fear as a dog owner. Hmm. And it's one of the reasons why my dogs are insured. Is because, yeah, I've seen this so many times. I mean, and I'm guilty, and it's been an absolute miracle that none of my dogs have ever had this, but running dogs when they have to roll their tongue out because they're so hot mm. and you're running them in grass seeds, they can have those things go down their throat and into their lungs. Mm. <clears throat> and so to find those things without advanced imaging is almost impossible. So with the advanced imaging, I mean, like, MRIs, CT scans, things like that. Uh, X-ray is not going to pick it up. And so, and those things are really cost prohibitive if you don't have your pets insured. So, I mean, the CT scan is probably going for, you probably could get one for 1200, but an MRI, you're looking at, at, you know, 2,500 to 3,000. Wow. So, that's a lot of money. And that, that's, that's just getting the image that doesn't treat the pet, you know? So number one, if you can avoid training them when the weed seeds are out, do it. If you have to mow the grass and, or mow the weeds down to train, that's what you should do. Mm. So a lot of field trial people stop when the mean seeds are out. So spear grass included. I, I absolutely hate those things. And so in our, in, in our long-haired dogs, you know, looking between their toes, make sure there's not grass on between the toes or, you know, they can, the in, they can embed, they can embed in the skin, right? Absolutely. Okay. So spear grass is probably one of the meanest buggers, man. There's a place where we hunt Valley Quail in Idaho and the spear grass is so bad mm. and, and it's not very tall. And so my big dogs it never affected my big dog but my little cocker would always get one you know mm. weed seed in the ear as the vet there i had to take her to the vet in idaho he called them june june grass so mm. um so but, you know c- combing your long-haired dogs to make sure because sometimes those seeds are sitting on the skin they're not in they're just barely poking in mm. but they'll move in with if you leave them there they'll move in and i've seen some dogs and i've I've seen some bad ones over the years. I've seen mm. some like great Pyrenees with that long, heavy coat mm. and the weed seeds getting underneath that coat. And then Jeez. the dog is it, being is it the, swelling. You'll someone would notice first. Yeah. But yeah, what will happen is they can get huge swelling. And sometimes it's like finding a needle in a haystack mm. to try to get those things out. And that's why MRIs are good or CT scans are good to find those. But, but the problem is again, you're spending, you know, for a CT scan, twelve hundred bucks before you even started treating the problem. So, 
Um, a good friend of mine that's a vet on Long Island, <clears throat> he, uh, he'll inject those draining wounds with, with a stain called new methylene blue and then follow the stain track until you find it. And I, wow. I've done that a couple of times, but I haven't been very successful. Sometimes it's tough to find those. And it, it's my biggest fear. I've, it's happened to all my dogs. Wow. And you're talking about, you're talking about when you say that you're talking about finding the seed in the dog or on the coat in the dog. In, okay. So that's when it didn't, you know, you didn't find them on the coat so they can be on the coat and then all of a sudden be in the dog. Cause they work their way in. Oh, they go through the skin into the dog even. Absolutely. Jeez. Yep. That's awful. Wow. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, so when you're done hunting, you should always set your dog on the tailgate and do your tailgate inspection. Look in the eyes, look in the ears, try to flip the third eyelid over, make sure there's not a weed seed on underneath the third eyelid, mm -hmm. check between the toes, get your comb out. If you've got a long haired dog and have pointers, you can see if there's a freaking grass on or something stuck in their coat sure. because they don't have that long hair. But, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I got a, still brush or still tooth comb that I absolutely love. And I just run that through my dogs and I get all the weeds off them as best okay. I can. Okay. So and it would help for if you're in that, that kind of comb and that kind of an inspection would help in, in the Midwest and in the, you know, the Lake States where they got ticks, you're looking for ticks too. get those mm. suckers, suckers off the dogs. Yeah. So okay. that's good. Okay. Um, all right. So, so the question everyone was kind of wondering is, is what are some things you'd recommend that are some, maybe some must have items that they carry, uh, with them in the field, but also maybe well, what are some things you could keep at the truck? What are some things you need to keep with you and maybe some things at the truck? Oh, well, I mean, it, if you go to my, mine and Andy's blog, um, which is uplandways.com and you look at my Build first aid kit. It's not very extensive. So you should always have like bandage material at the truck. And maybe it's not a bad idea to have some bandage material in the back of your vest. So another thing I carry is I, I like that um electrolyte paste. Um I, it's flipping my mind what the name of it is, but it's kind of got high fat and calories. Um NutriCal. And it's got electrolytes in it. It's also got high fat content. So it keeps the dog. If they start getting a little, you know, low on sugar, keep some, their sugar up, stuff like that. I keep that yeah. in the back of my bag. I also, another thing I carry with me in the back of my bag is a little, um, collapsible water dish. Cause my, for some reason, my dogs hate to drink out of squirting <laughs> in their mouth. So the I bottle. just, yeah, I just pull that thing, you know, make it, fold it out and then just fill it up, let them drink and. So, and then I put it right back in my vest. Yeah. Okay. So, are you carrying a staple stapler with you in your vest? Or are you leaving that at the truck? No, it's always in the truck. I, yeah. I mean, I might be five miles from my truck, but I usually can get my dog back if I had to do something like that. Sure. So. Okay. That's good. That's good. I'll, I'll link you know, to it the, wouldn't uh, be a bad idea. You know, one of the, some of the things I don't have on that that I should update is like, it wouldn't be a bad idea to have something like trazodone, which is a, mild sedative that you could mm. give your dog in case you had to pull porcupine quills oh. or if you wanted to do that staple you could give away a couple hours clean the wound really well and then staple it up so trazodone is one of those um again that's a prescription drug so 
the listeners would have to contact their veterinarian and, and get, you know, a prescription from their veterinarian. Gotcha. Okay. So okay. that makes sense. Again, and also, you know, it, it also depends on what I have, what you should have in your bag, depending on what your comfort level is. Some, like I said before, sometimes it's better not to tinker around in the field. You're better off to go, you know, maybe comfort, have somebody comforting the dog or keeping the dog stable while you're yeah. driving to get to the nearest vet. Sure. So. Okay. That's good. That's good. Yeah. I'll, I'll link to that, uh, that blog in the, uh, the show notes here. So people can check that out. Um, just a couple more vet questions, if you don't mind. Um, not at all. Flea and tick prevention. Is this something that you recommend doing year round? Uh, again, depending on where you live, but like here in Colorado, for example, is, is that something I can let up on during the winter or is that something you just, you would kind of keep your dogs on your own? No, you know, I only see flea and ticks in the, in the spring and early summer. Once it gets hot and dry, I don't see them. <clears throat> so here in Colorado, I give my dogs get fleas every year at the cabin. And mm -hmm. so in Colorado, we have the plague and that's a common cat. Um, flea carries the plague. It doesn't have to be the rodent flea. It can be the cat mm -hmm. flea. Wow. <clears throat> so even here in Castle Rock, every year, there's every summer, there's a squirrel they talk about that died with the plague. And I've had to, actually one of the dogs that's staying at my house right now had the plague last summer. We're pretty sure. Cause, oh, really? Yeah. Is it, what is the, sorry, can you explain the plague? Is that just a flea outbreak? Well, the plague is a bacteria that, that, that they get from fleas from a flea bite. And oh. so, you, so if you have rodents in your yard or rabbits, or where my dogs are getting at my cabin, we got tons of rabbits. Mm. And so there are a lot of fleas. So in the spring, in the late, early summer, I, I give them a product like Symperica um, Trio, which does fleas, ticks, heartworms, stuff like that. I like Symperica Trio. So for, for just ticks, like I've had a couple of clients go to Minnesota that have lived here in Colorado Springs. And they got to Minnesota um, the year, one year they had ticks so bad on their dog. And I said, okay, next year we'll do something better. So that the next year, what we did is we put, we had the dog on Symperica, which is just tick and fleas. And we had them put a, a tick collar on either mm. Preventic or what's the Srestos or whatever the other one's called. And then he calmed the dog out. But the next year, the dog didn't have a single tick. He had ticks on him, but personally, but it, mm. the dog never did. So oh, those wow. products work. Yeah. Um, one of the things I will say about a, a good friend of mine's dog got um, Lyme's disease or got a tick-borne disease last year. And he had one of those tick collars on, but it had been, they say they last six months. I don't believe that. And it had been wet and, you know, hmm. so I think I would, if, if it was me and I was going somewhere that was heavy in ticks, I would probably put a brand new collar on. Hmm. So the, okay. the tick collars work, the flea collars do not work. So, okay. Okay. But, but yeah. tick ones do, do you do versus like a, a tick collar versus like an, an oral uh, medication or an oral preventative? Do you, do you have one or the other that you like more? I, I mean, I really like some trio. Um, which again, that does my fleas and my ticks and it does round worms. And oh, that's, a, that's a three in one, right? Yeah, yeah. But the only thing it doesn't do is tapeworms and tape. Uh, we do see a fair number of tapeworms. And the most common 
what the the ways that dogs get tapeworms is from eating a flea or eating a rabbit. Mm. And so if your dog eats a flea or eats a rabbit, it can get tapeworm. And that's a lot of dogs eat rabbits. So, yeah. And, and tapeworms are, if you have the wire here, we're <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> I had one the other day that was in the head tapeworms. I no said, did way. Your dog, did your dog eat a rabbit? He goes, Oh yeah. This dog's always eating rabbits. <laughs> <laughs> well, there you go. Yeah. I don't, it was a wire hair. So. <laughs> Fire hair. It wasn't a griffin or, or so. That's, that's yeah. funny. Um, and then one more kind of, Well, you mentioned worms. I guess heartworm preventative. Same thing. I, I guess with heartworm, how, how like what's the prevent? Like how do dogs get heartworm? First off, it's it's through the bite of a mosquito. Okay? Oh wow! So yeah, so it takes six months from the time they get bit by a mosquito till they have adult heartworms. Hmm. And so. <clears throat> I think like here in Colorado, I mean, we have about a 5% chance, but if you go back East, it's a hundred percent chance. Wow. So if, if I lived in, in a, I'll say I lived in North Carolina or yeah. I lived in Alabama, someplace like that, my dogs yeah. would be on it year round. Wow. So, yep. Okay. Okay. So that's, yeah, that's super important. Yeah. So in here in Colorado, it's, you know, we don't have mosquitoes in the wintertime. Although one time when I lived in Elizabeth, Colorado, long time ago, um, I think it was December. I was down in my basement. I said, oh, there's a mosquito. It's December. So <laughs> It happens. It happens. It does. it does. But again, I mean, it's low. You know, we didn't used to have uh, heartworm here in Colorado till really it got bad when all those dogs came from uh, when they had that big hurricane in new Orleans. Oh, Katrina, uh, Katrina. Yeah. Oh, wow. All those dogs came and, and from Katrina that were abandoned or, or oh, wow. homeless. And a lot of them had heartworm and then they got into our mosquitoes and our coyotes. Oh, no way. And, yeah. Wow. So, so I, I think it's a good idea. It, it just makes good sense. And there's sure. some, you know, there's some good stuff out. The, the, the traditional, like the Semperic Trio, the traditional treatment of heartworms is you give them a pill. It's in their system for about four, maybe four days. And then you give them another pill 30 days later. So you're actually treating backwards in time. Mm -hmm. Okay. So that, that means if they got bit four days after they got the dose, when you give them the next dose, it's killing the worms that were injected by the mosquito. Oh, okay. Okay, so there's some new products out there. Well, they're not new, but there's a product out there um, that's an injection. Mm. ProHeart, it used to be called ProHeart 6 because it was good for six months. And now it's called ProHeart 12 because you can give an injection that lasts 12 months. And it's just for a heart. It, they say it does some roundworms and stuff like that. But in my mind, it's only good for a heartworm. So mm. The, the, the drug is called moxidectin, and I used it a lot in horses. It's a good dewormer in a horse. Okay. And what it does is it sits underneath the skin in these microcapsules, and when the mosquito bites the dog, it releases those heartworms, and they die in the skin. And so it's actually a preventative that's killing those heartworms immediately. Wow. wow. So it, it's safe. I mean, it, I used it, oh, I think it came out in about 2000. And then they took it off the market for a while. But in 2000, I probably gave, you know, five, 6,000 shots of it. I never oh, had geez. any problem. Wow. That's pretty so, cool. That's pretty cool. 
So, so I mean, a lot of people say, well, I forget to give the monthly. Well, then give the shot. But I, yeah. I use the monthly because I want flea and tick and other preventions. And so I just, sure. on my iPhone, I just put it in the calendar yeah. and every month, the same day of the month, I remember. Yeah. Just like everybody else. Exactly. So, That's what I started doing with, with my dogs is just, yeah, set a calendar reminder and just, <laughs> yep. it's, it's been pretty easy. So it's been good. Easy thing to do. Um, so, all right. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say when you when you're thinking about your first aid kit, you don't really need a whole lot of stuff. Okay. So I mean, it, if you want to learn how to stitch, go take some classes. You can stitch a wound up. You know, you yeah. can numb the wound up. It, it really depends on what your comfort level is. But but again, if your gut feeling tells you that something's bad and it ought to be seen, then you should probably be going. Sure. So again, common sense, right? Common sense. Yep. Yep. <laughs> That's good. Um, okay. Uh, you knew I was going to ask you about this. The great debate of spaying and neutering. <laughs> I'm sure you you hear about this all the time, right? Yeah, and I've been criticized on this one too, Will. One time, Tom Davis that writes for the Pointing Dog Journal, he asked me what my bottom line was. And I said that dogs, dogs, in my opinion, are healthier with their sex hormones. And several veterinarians responded to the editor. You know, you can write back to the editor and said mm -hmm. that there's more pets that die in the humane society because they were not spayed and neutered. Not a da da da. I'm like, okay, whatever. I, that, that's not true. I mean, there's a lot of dogs that have behavioral problems that have nothing to do with whether or not they have their sex hormones. So <clears throat> if you want to ask me that, Ask me, I have two female dogs. Are they spayed? No, they are not spayed. Is that them being in heat a pain in the butt? Absolutely. <laughs> it's a sure. pain in the butt. <laughs> sure. Uh, but I, I think yeah. they're I think they're healthier with their sex hormones. Um, but I don't think that there's enough evidence out there that if if I leave my dogs intact and I don't spay my dogs, are they gonna not get cancer? No. That, that I think it reduces the risk for some joint problems that reduces the risk for some kind of cancers. And most of those cancers were looked at in the golden retriever and the golden retriever has a lot of genetic cancer. Mm. So they found that if you let a dog, you let those golden retrievers go 18 months without being neutered or spayed, they had a less likely chance of getting a disease like lymphoma or hemangiosarcoma, which are genetic cancers. Mm. I still see them. We're, we're recommending later in spays and neuters. I'm still seeing genetic cancer. Mm. So if anything, letting the athletic dog have its sex hormones longer, it makes their bones develop better. They probably are less likely to gain weight and they're less likely to have joint issues. So, so you're not even saying don't do it at all. You're, you're kind nope. of even suggesting just, just don't do it. Cause again, grow, when I was growing up, we had dogs. It was like, as soon as the dog turned like, I don't know, eight months or nine months, people are like, oh, you have to have to spay or neuter then. You're just saying kind of like, wait a couple of years. Yeah, wait. You know, and also it needs to fit in your lifestyle. You know, if, if, if having a female in season in your house and you got another male dog that's not neutered and they're driving you nuts and don't do that. I mean, I, I don't think if you go out and you get them spayed or neutered, they're going to be any worse off than, than they were. I, I just, I think that there's a lot of things that we don't know in the veterinary community. In fact, now I'm starting to see a lot more people, even behaviorists saying that they have less 
problems when they're intact because they're, I mean, once you take those hormones away, there's, there's no negative feedback. And so there's things going on in the brain and there's things going on Mm. in the adrenal glands because they don't have the feedback from the gonads. Mm. So that, that's my opinion on that. Um, but if you're going to let your dog roam around the neighborhood and it's an intact female and the neighbor next door letting his dog roam around the neighborhood, that's an intact male. then yeah, you're not being responsible, but most of my pet owners are responsible and, and they don't have problems having intact males or females. Sure. So have you, have you, so with males, have you heard people say, Oh, you know, again, is it a myth where they say if, if you neuter a male, he's going to lose some of his, you know, hunting drive or some of his, his drive. Is that something that's, you see that's, or? That's absolutely a myth. Okay. So that's a myth. So I, I think, I think maybe that they slow down a little bit as you know, they're not as active when they're neutered, but I, I think that still, I've seen a lot of good dogs that have been spayed neutered that had a great hunting drive. Mm-hmm. It didn't take anything out of their hunting drive. So, sure. so I, I think that's a myth. Now, are, one of the things that people say, well, is there some consequences if I leave them intact? Yes, you can get system cystic endometrial hyperplasia. Um, and, and on your females, which is called pyometra, where they get pus from the, from having those cysts mm-hmm. and they can have an emergent need an emergency surgery or, or on the flip side of that, you can have males that get testicular cancer. But, I, you know, I have a fair number of male dogs that are intact in my practice and I'm probably seen hmm, Maybe one dog, one dog that has t- testicular tumor and it's a griffon, wire point of hair griffon, and he's got testicular tumor and it's totally benign and we've just been watching it. So, but, but I mean, could he get, yeah, if they're gone, he's not ever going to get testicular cancer. Um, sure. He can also have an enlarged prostate when he turns eight years old, which can affect how he moves, mm. how he gets up and stuff like that. And now there's drugs out there that work for those things. So sure. I, I think the bottom line is it depends on your lifestyle, what you want. Sure. Okay. So. Okay. That's good. Thanks for, thanks for addressing that head on. That's always a, one of those hot button topics. Everyone likes to, to, to talk about. I know. I talk about it all day, every day. And I, there's bets, there's bets in my practice that say they got that Bob Barker mentality. Every dog needs to be spayed or neutered. And I, mm. I don't have that mentality. I think it has to do with your lifestyle, whether you want to sure. deal with it or you don't. Sure. That's, but it's a real component. But, but in my opinion, my dogs are healthier with their hormones. Yeah. So, okay. Okay. Um, okay. That was that. And I just have a couple, a couple of listener questions. Um, I, I'll, I'll warn you, I don't have a ton of context around some of these, so we'll, we'll take them with a grain of salt. Okay. Um, so someone wrote in and asked, uh, why do some vets or why are some vets not vaccinating for Jardia anymore? Is the vaccine taken off the market many, many years ago. Oh, okay. So again, in the, in the, in the veterinary profession, a, a vaccine needs to be USDA approved. It's not FDA approved. And so the bottom line is they have to pr- provide that it, they have to prove that it's safe and may be effective for the disease it's targeting. Okay. So I use that vaccine a lot. I used to. And it's probably been 15 years it's been off the market. 
But I, I thought that vaccine worked well in, in dogs that became chronic carriers of Giardia and we couldn't get rid of it. The dog that I had to treat five or six times and they'd never get over it. Mm. The, the vaccine worked on those dogs. It never prevented them from getting Giardia. Okay. But I think it got them out of that carrier state. Gotcha. So, okay. Because yeah. because currently with a puppy, you give like a, it's an oral thing, right? You, no, that's boarded. Oh. Portatello. Oh, Portatello. Yeah, okay, what okay. you're thinking about. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Um, do claws, um, do they serve a purpose and is it worth removing them? <laughs> this is another one of those things. And I, <laughs> I, I think. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm not meaning to put you on the spot. <laughs> no, that's okay. I think Tom Davis asked me my opinion on this and I've changed my opinion. And the reason I've changed my opinion is that I have a dog that suffers terribly from having a dew claws removed. So the dew claw, the tendons from the dew claw and the ligaments from, well, it's tendons and ligaments. The tendon stabilizes that wrist. And there's no doubt in my mind because what happens is the largest carpal bone, the radial carpal bone can pop forward in some dogs that are big running, hard running dogs. And I've seen it happened in my dog who's crippled in both her front legs and in a good friend of mine's dog from boulder it's a doctor from boulder he had a dog same thing crippled in both legs he got bad carpitis which is inflammation and swelling of the carpal joint or the wrist joint so i my absolute opinion is leave them okay because when you're when the do cause come come out you're saying the tendon and and the is cut, cut attaches, off basically, right? If you look at if you look at your look at your thumb and you move your thumb and you look at the top of your thumb, you see that tendon. Oh yeah, that ten, that tendon attaches up above and it stabilizes the wrist. You take your thumb away, you Ooh. don't have that stabilization anymore. Okay. So that, and, and and like for instance, there's some other things about um, dogs being able to use their thumb to pull themselves out of ice, you know, if they broke mm. through the ice, I could see that. And, and in racing greyhounds, if you watch a racing greyhound go around the track, as they're going around the corners, that thumb is coming in contact oh, well. with the, with the ground. So I, I, I used to be of the opinion that it didn't matter if you left them or took them. I'm of the opinion now to leave them. Okay. Absolutely leave them because now I've had, Gretchen had her dew claws. My English pointer, Jibbers had her dew claws. And hunted, I hunted those dogs harder than probably anybody has hmm. hunted their dogs. Yeah. And I never once had a problem with their dew claws. I, the only problem I had with Gretchen's dew claws was putting a boot hmm. in, cact, in cactus country. The dew claw would get pushed into the side of the foot and cause a wound. Okay. So, so my, my opinion is leave dew claws. And I guess the opposite side of that with dew claws, what do people worry about by leaving them? I'm getting snagged on something. Okay. So, or, you know, that webbing could have like, oh, I've seen some of that grass that like snake looking grass in South Dakota stabbing in there. And yeah, it could do that, but I don't think that that's really a worry. Okay. So I've never had any problems with my dogs having dew claws. Okay. Um, all right. Just two more for you. Um, someone wrote, when, when should I worry about an umbilical hernia? That's a great question. Okay. So from a breeding standpoint, if, if you're going to, so say you got a puppy and this puppy's got a huge umbilical hernia, you can put three fingers in it 
to push it up and you got three fingers that can go into this hernia that's a genetic disorder you don't want to breed that dog mm. and that 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 type of hernia needs to be fixed as soon as possible so typically we don't like to put dogs under anesthesia till they're like eight weeks of age would be the earliest i would fix the hernia like that and they got to be at least two pounds mm. so i mean some puppies could be t- two pounds. And so I, I recently had, well, I don't remember what breed it. It was a hunting dog. But I don't remember what breed, but it was a pretty significant hernia. And we decided we're going to wait on the spay. They wanted to let the dog develop the joints and the muscles and the tendons and all the soft tissue um, and bones good. And then, so I went in and I fixed the hernia at, at uh, eight weeks and, and they're going to spay that dog down the road. They're probably going to do a laparoscopic spay. Um, cause it's a lot less harder on the dog than it is to make another big incision, mm. but I went in and fixed it. So, so for two things, if it's a big hernia that you want to fix it sooner than later, cause the bowel can get stuck in there. Mm. If it's a little hernia, like you can't even get the tip of your pointer finger into it. I probably wouldn't worry about it until you decide to spay or neuter them. Okay. So okay. if you're not going to spay or neuter them, sometimes those things will get fat so just be fat filled and it's sometimes when i go in and i correct those i'll open it up and there's just fat in there and there's no way any mm. intestine can get into that and so it's not a big deal but the big ones are a big deal because bowel can get into it and become obstructive you know or become uh, cut off you know the blood supply be cut off because it gets twisted in there so I, I should have asked you this first when I asked you the question, what, can you explain what an umbilical hernia is? <laughs> <laughs> Just so, uh, so I'm clear. So everyone's clear listening. <laughs> that, that's probably a wise thing because <laughs> people don't think the same way I think, but anyways, what an umbilical hernia is, is it, it's a, it's a rent or a, a break in the, in the abdominal wall that should have closed up when, when the, when the fetus or when the baby was born. Mm. So it, so it leaves a hole in the abdominal wall and the musculature. Mm. So. Okay. Okay. And that's usually kind of low, like on the belly where there's not a lot of hair, right? That's right. Where your, where your belly button would be. <laughs> okay. 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 Yeah. Yeah. okay. Oh, good stuff. I don't know. To be honest with you, I don't know how often people have that type, you know, kids are born with umbilical hernias. I have no idea. Sure. So, but in dogs, I see a fair amount. I mean, some breeds, well, I've seen some hunting breeds where the one, you know, three or four dogs out of litter have it. And so a small one isn't a big deal. A big one is a genetic, is a genetic midline defect. And those okay. dogs shouldn't be bred. Yeah. Okay. Those dogs should have them fixed and then be spayed or neutered. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, last one here for you. What's in, in all of the times that you've, you've been practicing and, and seen all of these dogs that you've, you've been taking care of, what's kind of like the most common thing uh, you're, you're treating in sporting dogs? Well, I mean, I treat a lot of things in sporting dogs, but probably diarrhea is the most common. <laughs> really? <laughs> Seriously. Uh, so dog out there eats something they shouldn't yeah. have you know they get vomiting and they have diarrhea that's probably the most so lacerations porcupine quills are very common okay. um a lot of times i'll see dogs where the owners pull the porcupine quills but then they, they face swells up and then one mm. festers out mm. so um but in my geriatric dogs what do you think the most common thing would be 
joints? Yep, absolutely. Okay. Yep. Because okay. arthritis is a wear and tear disease. Mm. <clears throat> and so they wear them out. And so one of the things that I've started with my own dogs is I've started them on oral glucosamine the minute I get them. Okay. So yeah, I think, I, I think I, we talked about this a, a while back, like just like the straight, like Cosequin chews. Yeah, or, yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Anything better than nothing. So, yeah. Yeah, and you know, the foods that they talk up the Cosequin, you know, that they talk up glucosamine in their food, those things are bogus. I think you're better off to do like Cosequin DS okay. or Dasequin or something like that. You just because they're getting a higher dose of it or yeah yeah there's no way they could put enough of dose in the dog food you, i mean you'd pay so much freaking money for the dog food it wouldn't <laughs> be it would be cost prohibitive sure so oh that's good well someone i don't have this question in front of me someone kind of wrote in with with dog food like what's that threshold between you know is it, is it that 30 20 is that kind of the sweet spot of of fat to carbs and all Pro- that like uh, protein yeah i think for yeah i mean again it depends on your dog how much you run them but i that 30 20 is what i use not the sweet spot <clears throat> yeah and i think that's again i'm reading that article about these sled dogs and so you know a lot a lot of the sled dog people they make their own foods so sure you know and that, but um you know I, I i think a lot of good a lot of these companies like uh uh, Purina, I think they got it nailed. The sporting dog stuff, and you know, Yukonuba, their sure. sporting dog stuff is awesome. So yeah. that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. Um, all right, Sean. So last thing I like to to wrap up with here um, is is you know talk to the to the rookie upland hunter out there, uh, maybe someone who just got a, their own bird dog, maybe someone's heading into their first season uh, coming up this fall. What's a, what's a piece of advice that you would, you would give them that way. It could be vet related. It could be hunting related training, whatever it might be. You know, probably the best advice is find somebody else that's got the same passion and learn from them, you know, whether have a mentor or, or be a mentor. So, hmm. but you know, I have a mentor. Um, that's probably, I probably learned more from other people than, than I would have ever learned on my own. <laughs> sure. And, and it's just fun being out there with someone else sharing experiences yeah. with and, yeah, yeah. you know, taking those, taking those moments in it's, it's pretty special. Yep. That's awesome. All right. Um, rapid fire section here. I'm just going to ask you a couple, couple, uh, questions and kind of give me your off the cuff answer and we'll wrap okay. this thing up. Sounds so, good. uh, for you, what came first, the gun, the dog or hunting? Now the hunting came first and that's because my dad took us deer hunting when we mm. were kids and that's what got me into it. So, okay. Okay. Yep. That's great. Um, I know you're, you're out at the clay range in the, what tra- you, you trap clays, everything, right? What is yeah. the most, how many clays have you ever hit in a row? Well, one time I had this old ham- hammer gun Parker, it's a 10 gauge, but I got 12, 12 gauge um, inserts in there. I shot 40 in a row. Oh, wow. Uh, but there are some disclaimers. I shoot <laughs> the same, <laughs> the same target over and over. And I wanted to see if I could hit, I had yeah. 40 shells left and I hit it 40 out of 40. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. That's good. That's good. I I think the, the closest one so far is at 24 in a row. So you, you, uh, you got, you got them beat for right now. 
Yeah, but it, it was sporting clays, and like I said, it was the same target over and over and over. So <laughs> I try to, I try to, when I go shooting, I try to do, I try to do what's going to be more like bird hunting. I mean, those ones that get up so far away, I'm never going to mm. take that shot. So I sure. don't, I usually will let it go and then say, I'm not going to shoot this station. And, you know, those guys shoot, that are shooting those stations are using, 12 gauge one and an eighth ounce shot with really mm. tight chokes and I, that's not i'm not hunting like that sure so. sure um can, this just popped in my my brain so there's can you explain the different like i guess i don't know what you call them activities of, of clay shooting there's the trap right right the trap is where they can you explain right. different Tra- differences yeah tr- yeah trap you got 25 targets you got five stations and at each station you're seeing five so you go to each station you shoot five and it's usually that it's a single it's a single shot game so you and i found that i really suck at trap <laughs> so and that's where you'll then, get all you'll get crossers and right different angles right okay yeah i mean because they got a oscillating um thrower in there and so you you're not going to get you're maybe thinking more of skeet when you get the crossers so skeet i can't remember i've only shot skeet like twice and i didn't do very well with that either but skeet's going to have the high house and the low house and they have a number of stations i can't remember how many the problem is is the only place that i know to shoot skeet are from here or long ways away so i i used to go with steve selvig down in colorado springs and we'd shoot skeet and and that in that you really need a very open gun mm. so it's that that's why they call it skeet the skeet choke you need as open a choke as you got you can get because those the, the days that i've shot i've always had my bird guns and the skeet in the barrels weren't open enough and i missed mm. a lot <laughs> Gosh. so and then and then i like the five stand the, the five stands kind of the same concept i think you, yeah you shoot five again in each one of those you shoot 25 targets but they're closer to, to each other than and they and you might have birds you might have plays coming in at you you might oh. have them coming over your head okay so five stand is probably my favorite it's more like to me it's more like bird hunting yeah at least where yeah. i shoot it is yeah you're out you're so, out there quite a bit it looks like you're you're uh you're quite the yeah, avid I, shooter yeah I, I go every week but i try I try to take my guns that don't require me to shoot my shells. I can't get <laughs> so because of the COVID and all that stuff. So I've been sure. shooting all my modern guns. There you go. My old guns. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, which, which leads us into guns. Uh, what, what gun are you carrying out into the field when you're, you're bird hunting and why? What bird am I hunting? Ooh, you're changing it up. <laughs> <laughs> take, uh, take, take a pheasant. What are you bring them for a pheasant hunt? Well, uh, when I went to Nebraska last year, I carried my Browning Satori 12 gauge. It's not a Satori, excuse me. It's a Superpose, and it's got double triggers. So it's the original 12 gauge. um, And that uh, just popped those set pheasants. Mm. So, and I like like being able to pull either the front trigger or the back trigger, which fires different barrels. Mm. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, Sharp, sharp tail hunt. What are you bringing? Oh, you know, the last couple of years I hunted with my hammer guns. I like my Parker 16 oh. hammer gun. So okay. on sharp tails. Because the weather is usually good. I don't have to worry about it if it rains. Uh, okay. Yeah. And, and 16, not, 16 is probably my favorite caliber or gauge because okay. uh, you shoot a square load. You might have to get a, somebody on 
the gun guy to talk yeah. about square square load. Definitely, I, that's the first time I've heard that term, so I'm intrigued. <laughs> you're shooting basically. You're shooting an ounce of shot and an ounce of powder, is my understanding. But somebody that's in the ballistics understand it way better. Sure. So, okay. Okay. And then just for fun, what are you bringing on a quail hunt? Well, this year I'm going to try. I got some winchester model 42 which is the 410 pump gun hmm. i'm gonna try that on quail this year okay so, so they're awesome. they're tight choked they're tight choked and they the original 42s had two and a half inch chambers and mine both have three inch chambers so a three inch 410 and a full choke is a pretty pretty lethal thing i can bust the clays every day all, all day <laughs> long with those little 410s that's so, awesome i've never shot a 410 not not yet at least yeah, I'll try that. Um, yeah. Favorite bird to hunt and why? Mm, well, I love scale quail here in Colorado. Okay, uh, so I, quail is my favorite bird, and then probably it's a toss up between woodcock and Hungarian partridge. I love Hungarian mm. partridge because they rattle the heck out of you when the cubby <laughs> gets up. <laughs> but I like. I mean, I just love scale quail in Colorado because I like where they are. I like the way the dog has to learn how to hunt them because they run like heck mm-hmm. it takes a good dog to nail a covey of scalies sure so and That's currently awesome. i don't have one of those <laughs> i got so i got a young dog i gotta get get her yep. to learn how to do that but my dog gretchen was phenomenal on scale quail man she i, I trained her it was okay if she busted the covey if they wouldn't hold bust the covey up <laughs> and then we'd watch where they go yeah. And land. Cause once they land, they sit and then she'd point them all for me. Oh, that's cool. Find, find the singles. It was fun, man. That's cool. That's cool. I definitely, definitely got to get after some scaly someday. Um, it's going to be a tough one for you because you've owned so many different breeds of dogs, but your favorite dog breed besides the ones you've owned. Well, I probably have to say poodle pointer. Really? Yeah. One of my clients was in the other day and I, I probably insulted him. I thought he had a wire hair, but it was a poodle <laughs> pointer. And I knew it was a poodle pointer, but I, I hunted with a poodle pointer a few years ago. It was just, the guy did, was hunting with it. And he, he didn't like the dog and that dog was phenomenal. Mm. So she was, uh, I, I think they got the drive and they got, they can go fast and they just point. And mm. if I was going to have a wire haired looking dog, it would yeah. be a poodle pointer. Okay. All right. So, chalk chalk yeah. one up for the poodle pointer. Um, yeah. Last one here, Sean. Beverage of choice after a hunt. I like root beer. <laughs> oh, nice. We going yeah. specialty root beer? We going? Oh yeah. Big, big yeah. box. Oh yeah. I like uh like uh, Boylan's or I mean, there's so many good craft <laughs> root beers out there. I can see the smile oh. on your face right now. <laughs> <laughs> My brother. One of the things I like to do is when I go to Idaho and I go to Idaho the first of October every year to hunt with my family, I fill my cooler up with root beer because my nephews love it. (laughs) That's awesome. Is there any good, good Colorado made root beer you know of? Yeah. Yeah. There's one that's got, I don't remember what the name of the company is, but it's really good. The only downside is it's got, it's got the, Oh, what is a corn syrup instead of sugar in it? You know, I like the pure cane sugar and sure. those root beers better. So. Yeah. 
No, that sounds that sounds good. I could go for one of those right now. <laughs> yeah, I love ice ice cold root beer. There's nothing better. Oh, and put a little ice cream in that for for after yeah. dinner. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> there you go. Now yeah. we're talking. Now we're talking. Well, Sean, this has been a blast. Thank you. Uh, right. Thanks so much for carving out. Oh, uh, well, it was night. my pleasure. Thank you for having me on here. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. I've I've been wanting to get you on for a little while now, and honestly, it just took me a while to kind of craft craft some some questions. And uh, you've been on my mind for a while, and I'm glad we finally worked it out. You know, veterinary medicine is a hard subject to talk about to to people because uh, there's so many opinions, and it's really it's it's uh, you know experiences that people have had as a vet and mm-hmm. what's worked and you know stuff like that, and it, it's a tough thing. And first aid, you know, is tough thing for people to understand and going good advice to a listener would be to go to a first, you know, canine first aid Mm -hmm. class. So, I mean, I've, I've gone to them and I've I've been to vet school. Yeah. (laughs) I'll never forget the first time I, uh, I think I told this to Nick Larson a while back, but the first time I, I heard you, and it was on Nick's podcast way back when he just started it. Uh, it had yeah. to be what, four or five years ago. And I was, I was driving yeah. down I-25, I remember. And I was listening. I was like, wait, this, this guy's in Colorado. He hunts birds. He's a vet. And I just picked up my yeah. first, you know, gauge at that point. And, uh, and I looked, looked you up and I was like, all right, this sounds like a good vet. Yeah. You know, this is, this is more me in a nutshell is I'm, I'm a bird hunter first. And then probably that I became a vet. So, mm. Yeah. That's, that's cool. I, it's, oh. it's something that, you know, we all care about our bird dog so much. And it's nice to know that, you know, someone understands like our world understands you can, you get it. You have bird dogs, you hunt, you love, you love the yep. uplands. That's, it's nice. I, I, I went to vets with dogs growing back, grown up and had some bird dogs and they're just like, wait, so your dog did what? And, and it's, I don't know, there's yeah. a disconnect sometimes. And yeah, they don't, but most of the vets that I work about are work with, they don't understand what a, what it really means to be a, you know, you got your weekend warrior dogs, but then you got guys that run their dogs every weekend. And those dogs are super athletes sure. and they do amazing things and people that, unless you've seen it and you, you can never understand it. Mm. Yeah. So that's so true. So, yep. So true. Um, besides Upland Ways, I'll link to that that website, a blog that you and Andy did. What's the best What's the best way for people to reach out if they have questions, they want to connect with oh, you at all? They can hook me up on Instagram, Bird Dog Doc, or you know, they can always call my practice. I get probably oh, I probably get a dozen calls from around the country every year from people that had you know their vet couldn't figure something out, and you know, I don't know everything, but I sure will help somebody if I if I can give them some insight or whatever. Sure. Well, that's great, Sean. Well, thank you again. This has been a blast and uh, I'm sure we'll we'll be talking again soon. All right. Take care, man. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. And that's a wrap of episode 52 with Sean Wayman. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time, uh, breaking down some of the veterinary medicine questions. Uh, you may hear a lot of, but I really appreciate you, um, again, just breaking those down, making them easy to understand uh, for a lot of us bird dog owners. Hey guys, don't forget, if you've ever considered a dog box, get your orders in with B Pro Kennels before July 31st. Uh, use code ROOKIE30, gonna save you 30% off your entire order uh, and your custom dog box with B Pro Kennels. Reach out to Ben, ASAP. Uh, promo code is not gonna be good once August 1st hits. So reach out to Ben over at B Pro Kennels. 
Also, don't forget about the July podcast giveaway happening over at patreon.com. Make sure you're signed up as a Patreon supporter, and there's some incredible gear up for grabs, including a vest from Final Rise, a knife from Upland Knife Company, Cable Gangs, as well as Gunner Kennels. So check out the giveaway details. Must be signed up as a Patreon supporter. July winner is going to be announced or contacted on August 1st. So uh, we're going to have a giveaway for the next four months. So uh, chances are high. Not a ton of people are entered so far. Um, so if you want to get in uh, to a sweet giveaway, win some cool gear, uh, head over to patreon.com. Hey guys, until next time, thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for the support. If you haven't left a rating and review yet uh, for the podcast, I would love for you to head over to Apple Podcasts or Spotify leave a rating or, or rating or review or and review, I guess. And, uh, we really help the show uh, get out there to more hunters just like you. And until next time, go put some miles on those boots and follow your favorite bird dog. <laughs>